Welcome to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. I'm your host, Matt Halloran. Being your own loud is not new to marketing, but the mindset, strategies, and resources to help you get there are evolving faster than this industry is keeping up. It is time to find a new perspective on what works why and how to move your business forward. Listen as I interview guests to help you learn from them how to be your own loud. Let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to another Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Halloran. Now, here's the thing. Most of you who are listening to this are first-generation entrepreneurs. Not only are you first-generation entrepreneurs, but you realize that this is an incredibly lonely path that you have chosen for yourself, where you don't know who to talk to about what's going on in your life, because people, one, have unrealistic expectations of really what it means to be an entrepreneur, and two, they don't get it because they're not freaking entrepreneurs. I had three, three of my really good friends start talking about our guests today. His name is Andrew McIntosh. Now, here's the deal. He has built something that if I knew this existed when I first became an entrepreneur, I would have been all in. Now, of course, this is the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. We're not just going to be talking about what this first-generation entrepreneur thing is, but how it can help you as an advisor create amazing content, create a really strong and robust network, and most importantly, accelerate your influence. Andrew, welcome to the show. Matt, thank you so much for having me, man. I'm happy to be here. I'm just happy you exist, my friend. I'm really happy that you exist. Let's talk about the journey. So who are you? Why did you start this? What did you start? Let's kind of unpack that stuff. Well, let me first start by saying I'm, I too am happy that I exist. So that's, that's good. We're on the same page. <laughs> yeah. So a little bit about my story. I'll try to spare you a full novel length background, but I was the first person in my family to start a business back in 2006. So I'm actually a former recovering IT guy by trade. So I started an IT business in 2006. And because I was the first person in my family to do that, my parents were very supportive and very loving and had no clue how to help me or what to tell me as far as pitfalls to avoid, how to get started, where to get clients, none of that. And so Beyond that, I also didn't really come from money per se. And so it was pretty much a sink or swim experience for me when I went out on my own. It was a pretty scary thing. So fortunately for me, over a 15-year period, I was able to bootstrap that company, grow it organically. Uh, we got to where we were about $2 million a year in revenue. So not a huge company, but legitimate. And I eventually wound up selling it in July of 2021. After that, I spent about a year working for the company who acquired mine, was trying to figure out what I wanted to work on next. And in the process of meeting new people on LinkedIn and whatnot, kept explaining over and over again, I was the first in my family to start a business. From that came this term, first-generation entrepreneur. Well, as soon as I started to describe myself as a first-gen I found instantly other people identified with that, said, hey, that's me too. And then instantly you connect on the fact that, yeah, with that comes a lot of uncertainty, anxiety, the fear of the unknown, not knowing what to do next. 
And so I started looking at it and thinking, maybe I can help these folks. Maybe by building a community that specifically caters to the needs of first-gen entrepreneurs, we can fill in some of those needs that they have and help them get over what I call the entrepreneurial hump, where you actually enjoy the benefits of entrepreneurship. Being alone on the island, having family and friends who don't really have any idea how to support you, what infrastructure have you built to give people, these first-gen entrepreneurs, that sort of a safe space so that they can talk about this? Because as you just said, and as I've experienced and almost all of our listeners have experienced, we haven't had a safe place to have these conversations. So when I had been in business for about six years, I hired a business coach and it was phenomenal. I would absolutely recommend it to anybody who has the opportunity because I finally had someone to bounce ideas off of, someone who could help illuminate what my path looks like the next few steps, and someone who could help calm me down when I thought something was a huge deal and he'd been there, done that. He could help me with that. The problem was he was $1,000 a month and that was a decade ago and that was his discounted rate. And I couldn't afford that until I had already been at this for six years. So what I'm building now tries to bridge that gap, essentially. So it's an online community where you can log in weekly to online events where we basically crowdsource that type of expertise. So you've got people from all different backgrounds and industries who come together with a common objective to workshop our way through helping each other get unstuck and overcome the challenges that each of us are facing in that business. And I want all of our listeners to just pause on what he just said there. So the number one concern that we have with people who are trying to accelerate their influence is they don't know what to, to talk about. And so many of you want to work with entrepreneurs. How awesome would it be to be able to plug into a network and just look at the questions people are asking and creating unbelievable amounts of engaging content that you know that you know is what's being searched for online. This is great for SEO. This is great for video. This is great for podcasts, great for blogs, great for social media posts. I'm sorry, that sounds shameless, but I really want people to understand that not only is there a passionate community of other first-generation you know, entrepreneurs, but the auxiliary benefits of joining an organization like yours are exponential. Now, how are you finding people now, dude? You haven't been doing this for very long and you have quite a few people who are in. Yeah, so it's really about four months old, four and a half months now. And we're up to 67 members and it's growing by a few people a week. So predominantly the way I've connected with people is through LinkedIn. So I'm a pretty frequent poster on LinkedIn. I'm just trying to share what I've learned from personal experience in starting, growing, and selling a business. And it's uh, random musings from Andrew, if you follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, but then from that, it starts a lot of conversations. I get to know people, have individual meetings with them. And then uh, when they find out what what I'm building, that's, that's usually enough for them to, to say, hey, I want to be a part of it. One of the biggest reasons why our listeners don't do things to help stop being the best kept secret in their area is really confidence. The people who I know who've joined your organization already, that's one of the first things that really popped out is that they, one, they feel like they're not alone. And two, they feel like they have some resources. 
What are you hearing in the community right now, not being very old, but growing as quickly as you are, that you're hearing from these first-gen entrepreneurs that you think would resonate with our audience? So I think at this stage, we have a lot of tactical things. How do I do this? How do you do that? What has your experience been when you try X? And that's huge because you can Google these things, right? But what are you going to find? Usually it's a sales pitch, a blog post, a landing page where they're trying to convert you into this and why their product is better or what have you. Whereas with this, you're getting no holds barred, no frills, just straight, actionable, real world experience from your peers. And so it kind of gives you this built-in board of advisors that you can turn to that's real human interaction. It's not filtered like what we often see on LinkedIn and other social media platforms. And I'm certainly not bashing those. It's the majority of how I meet new people. But the fact is, is that's a public setting. And so you're all of us are usually measured in what we say, even when we're trying to be authentic. This being a private community, it kind of just takes that layer off and you just get straight to the source of what's working and what's not. I'm sure that there are listeners right now who are thinking, man, I would love to be able to build a community like this myself, you know, whether that's for existing clients or to really have them hyper-focus on their niche. Would you mind talking a little bit about how you built the community, what platforms you've used and, and what the good and bad and ugly is of all of that? Um, I will preface it by saying it is a deceptive amount of work. It, uh, <laughs> which I'm sure is true of a podcast. It's true of just entrepreneurship in general. Uh, so if you go into it thinking that it's not going to be a lot of work, you're in for a surprise. That said, uh, the platform that I use is called Circle. So you can check it out on circle.so. It, it's one of the, I think, dominant players in this space right now. Very user-friendly, very easy to set up all of the structure behind the scenes. You know, So when you log in and you see different spaces and, and how they function, to set that up, very easy to do. The amount of thought and preparation and planning and asking questions and figuring out what's going to be useful to people and what the format should be, that is the stuff that takes months to do. Uh, so that was kind of my approach. I spent a good six months just talking to people and trying to figure out what they need and, and what their uh, sore spots are in their entrepreneurial journey. And then from there, it turned into a little mock-up of what this community would look like, ran that by a bunch of people, got a whole lot of input so that I could ultimately hit the ground running right around the first of the year when we launched it. And then in the last four months, it's already, it looks totally different today than it did four months ago. So it's just an ongoing work in progress to meet the needs of the members. From a compliance standpoint, just from all of our listeners, listen, this is very, very compliant because it's password protected and it's behind many, many layers of, of security. I just want you to all to know that, uh, that this is absolutely something that you can do. And it's also very easy to archive the conversations because you'll probably need to do that from a compliance perspective. Now, I want to talk a little bit about you as a business owner, right? So as a business owner, how did you grow your business as quickly as you did your tech business to be able to get it to a point of selling? So it's interesting you say that. I am actually, I consider myself the anti-guru. 
I am not the guy to come to if you're looking for secrets and systems and how to make a million bucks in 30 days. Like, I'm not that guy. What I am, though, is the guy who was just, I guess, hard-headed enough and stubborn enough to learn a lot of things the hard way. And I just made a ton of costly mistakes, but I kept up with it long enough that I eventually got over that hump that I referred to before. So for me, I started in 2006. By 2008, I hired my first employee and I was at a crossroads because as an IT guy, you're kind of on call like 24 seven. And it got to the point I couldn't take a vacation. And the straw on the camel's back was one day I was homesick. Like I had no business going anywhere and a customer, uh, their server crashed on them and I had to just pop some pills and, and head on up there. Right. So I realized then I either need to double down on this and hire someone, or I need to go back to a day job because that just wasn't working. So for me, that kind of forced my hand to go from a solopreneur to what eventually evolved into a CEO. And I, right out of the gate, just made a bunch of bad mistakes when it came to hiring. <laughs> I was completely ill-equipped to actually be a manager, let alone a leader of people. But just by repeating that process, learning from those mistakes, keeping at it, eventually the amount of work outweighed the, the labor that I had to supply. And you just kind of keep repeating that process and, and learning along the way. It's Matt here jumping in for just a second. Hey, if you want to go from being the seeker of clients to being sought after, then influence is your answer. It's the only marketing that's left today for advisors. But how much influence do you have right now? Well, to find out, take our free five minute test and get a scorecard that reveals and ranks your level of influence. Just go to proudmouth.com to start. Now, so you were full-blown a CEO and a lot of the people who are listening to this run mid-sized firms where they might call themselves a CEO, but they're really not managing multiple departments and things like that. What were some of the big struggles, but more importantly, what were some of the big wins that you had in that role that you kind of would look back on and say, man, I really did a good job there. I think one of the struggles that I had early on was not seeing myself as a CEO, not thinking of myself as a leader. I'm kind of that guy. I'm pretty chill. I just, why can't we all just get along? You know, nobody needs to be the boss really. Like let's just all show up and work hard and it'll, it'll turn out. Okay. It does not turn out. Okay. It does not turn out. Okay. That is not how this works. And I went through a period of denial thinking that that would be the case. And then realizing that naturally people need someone to lead. And it makes sense that the guy who founded it would be the leader. And you just have to get, you got to get comfortable with being in that space. Now, some people, they want to be the leader. Like they're the little bossy kid from four years old on. But if you're not that person, getting comfortable with the idea that what it takes to be a good leader, to be in that position, you got to make some of the toughest decisions. If they're in the best interest of the company or of the rest of the team, it's not easy. You know, they say heavy is the head that wears the crown. That is, that is no joke. Right. Uh, but if you can get comfortable with that, then rewards start to come along the way. And I don't just mean financial rewards, but 
you get to the point where you have a team that you trust and you know them intimately and vice versa, and everybody starts to understand what their role is, you eventually start to build this machine that now your job is to constantly fine tune the machine. And here's all these little aspects of it that I can improve this just by a few percentage points here. And I can make this a little smoother for my customers over there. And it becomes this thing that now buys you those freedoms that come from entrepreneurship done right. Interestingly, being an IT guy and being a financial advisor are very similar personality traits. It's the attention to detail. It's the need for accuracy. It's the need to stay up to date on absolutely everything that's going on in your world. Let's talk about that transition, though. So what went well? When did you wake up and realize, oh, my God, I'm the CEO? And was there a triggering event that made you like say, oh, okay, I got this? Well, I'd like to add there's more similarities than just what you mentioned. Also, advisors and IT guys, they tend to be geniuses, <laughs> handsome, yeah, you know, nice. attractiveness. Yeah. These are common traits among these two trades, just <laughs> science. I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. I would say that a turning point for me, it was probably not until, I think over the span of 15 years, I had about 40 some odd employees total not at any one time, but just total. And it wasn't until like my 10th employee was I no longer the smartest guy in the room. When he came on board, he suddenly freed me up from being the senior most technical person. He had more experience than me, more knowledge, sharp as a tack. And that was a really seismic shift for our company because what then happened is it allowed me to focus on sales, which was my strength. And I could go get new business and then just throw it over the fence and then trust that he had it, that he could deliver service. That happened around 2016. And that was a real turning point. Like our growth then started to do that kind of hockey stick thing from then on. I know that so many of our listeners are thinking, man, I can't wait for that to happen. But it's done by design, not necessarily by default. And for everything that you want in life, you have to give up something proportionate to that want. So hiring this person, I'm assuming, was not as inexpensive as some of the other people. And you had to trust somebody to execute your vision. And I know that that's very, very difficult, especially for entrepreneurs specifically. We got everything in this business, right? I had an advisor who was prospecting me on LinkedIn. I really wish they just read my damn profile, but whatever, uh, you know, saying, you know, Hey Matt, I know you're a business owner, are these pain points for you? And I'm thinking to myself, really, dude, like you're going for the hard close immediately. You don't know who I am and you don't know that I know a thousand of you. And if you think this is the way that you're going to get to me, but I bring that up because, you know, you being in sales, right? You had to feel comfortable. So you're landing the business and then you're handing it off to somebody else. So many of our advisors have issues with landing the business and they're terrified to hand it off because they're not going to do it exactly the way that they would do it. Talk about that in this first gen entrepreneur mindset. Yeah, that's a great thing that probably would merit its entire own episode because now, now you're starting to get into what leadership really is all about. A couple of things that I learned unfortunately, the hard way. I wish I could tell you I learned anything like the easy way, but I didn't. This is just my path in life, apparently. But one assumption that I made is that when I hired my first employee, that I was going to overnight add 40 hours a week worth of capacity. And that couldn't be further from the truth. 
In fact, I was a little bitter when I found out I'm working more and making less because I'm now paying this person and training them and everything else. This is not bringing the relief that I thought it was going to have, right? Well, the reality is, is you need to go into it knowing that it takes time to get them up to speed. They are not you. They're never going to be you. And you need to be comfortable with having a little bit of room there. You give them some parameters on how you want this done, but you need to give them the freedom to do it their way to an extent, right? In a small business, we're not Amazon. This is not a factory. We do not have every little detail down to a science. These are human beings that are on your team, right? And so if you can identify that someone is smart, they're a hard worker, they're technically competent, it's on you to equip them to succeed, not the other way around. And that, that was a biggie for me. Do you, do you think that that's a generational mindset shift? Because I know that there are some older people who are, especially in our industry, who are like, well, Matt, I did it this way. Why can't they just pick up the phone book and start prospecting like I did? One, it's it's illegal. Uh, and two, it's not how the game works. Do you think that, are you hearing that within your network now? Or are you hearing people running up to that same kind of mindset resistance that, man, if I need to grow one, I'm going to take a step back financially. Number two, uh, I can't keep using my business as my own personal bank account. And then three, it is going to take time. And I do need to trust that I'm going to get this person up and running. What are you hearing from your your members now? Yeah, I think what, what happens is there is sometimes a little bit of that gap between your expectations and reality, right? And then unfortunately, it's a moving target too. Like for example, let's take telemarketing since you brought that up. Uh, there was a time before it was illegal that we were participating in that. We we had a third party who was doing it and worked great. But then suddenly, just overnight, it's like that well just dried up. And to this day, I still don't know what caused that. Was it because telemarketing in general lost its effectiveness? Was it because my local market was a little burned out? They were getting phone calls from our competitors every day. Was it because the company I had hired to do it had churn on their team and lost their effectiveness. There's so many factors there. I'll never really know what happened. But what I do know is in that moment, well, guess what? What you were doing is no longer working. So you better be ready to pivot. And if you're not, you know, you can cling to that and just slowly watch as your business dies off if that's the path that you want to take. But I think the reality is for most businesses, if you're not flexible, adaptable, willing to try new things, willing to let go of the things that don't work, willing to work with your team and give them the headroom and the space that they need to do their jobs and focus more on the outcomes, the results, define what those are, agree on them that they're reasonable, and then give them license to get there. That's more important ultimately than mapping out every single step along the way. I definitely think that the agility that needs to be in our modern marketplace, especially how quickly technology is changing, that if you don't realize that you have to be adaptable, uh, you know, the, Darwin said it wasn't the strongest or smartest that survived. It was the most adaptable. And that is truly true within business. <laughs> side Side note, real quick. You just answered why I managed to survive. I wasn't the smartest or the strongest. It was just being adaptable, I guess. 
Yeah. And you and me both, brother. And I, you know, I think that our willingness to be adaptable, right, has allowed us to, you know, be able to, again, maneuver. It, my people say to me all the time, man, Matt, you have not had a straight career path. No, you know, dude, like not even close. And it's partially because, you know, I wanted to try new things. I happen to be very entrepreneurial myself. I'm really cool taking risks. And luckily I have a supportive family who is as crazy as I am, or at least they understand my crazy and support that. And I know that's not always the case, which is another really cool thing about your network is, as you said at the top of the show, this is, this is lonely, right? That you feel like you're alone. How can people get involved? So so what do they need to do? If you're listening to this and you're saying, man, I'm really tired. I am I show up to my office every single solitary day. I don't work with anybody else. Or maybe I've got one support team. I can't talk to him or her about the problems that I have because they're going to freak out. They're going to think they're going to lose their job. How can people get involved with your first gen uh, opportunity? Well, at this stage, the best thing to do would be just to get in touch with me because we actually have an application process to even join this community. That's there to make sure that the quality of the people who enter remain there, but it's also to make sure that they don't go into it with the wrong intentions. Because a lot of times people will describe what I'm doing after talking to me like, oh yeah, I've belonged to a networking group before. It's like, no, 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 no. This is not a networking group, right? And if that's what you think it is, number one, you won't see the value in what I'm doing. Number two, you're going to come in here guns a blazing and you're going to actually ruin the experience for everybody. So after I've vetted someone, then I can send them a link, invite them to come in, right? But then once a person's in there, I'm basically building a three-legged stool right now. The first thing that I'm doing predominantly that is providing the most value is holding weekly meetings, Zoom-style events like this that serve a few different purposes, ranging from helping people to get unstuck on specific issues to holding each other accountable so we can keep the needle moving in our business further than we would on our own to a few other kind of random things like book clubs where we help each other implement ideas into our business, right? And then the second leg of the stool is the interactive component where people can ask random questions. You get something that you've never dealt with before. Now you've got a board of advisors in your pocket, right? So you can go there to ask questions, get good answers, from again, real life experience, share your wins, share your learns, help, you know, iron sharpens iron here. And then the third one is building a catalog of resources, playbooks, courses, guides, again, from real world experience. Here's what worked for me. Here's what didn't. And then you can kind of consume that. So the idea is every week you've got something uh, that you can participate in and just feel like you're not doing it alone. All right. So we'll make sure that we have your links in our show notes uh, just to make sure that people can look at the summary of the podcast and, and click uh, follow you on LinkedIn, everybody. You just need to do that anyway. Just really fun content, very engaging content, which is why is setting a 10-year vision so important? I think that setting a 10-year vision is really important because a lot of people might think, well, what's the point? I don't know what's going to happen in 10 years. But the thing is, is you wouldn't get in a car and then just start driving, you would get in a car and say, I want to go to California, right? Now, you don't even need to know where in California, and you might not even end up in California, and that's okay, but at least you have a destination. Because then what happens is you set a goal for yourself. It can be a monetary one. I want to make X amount of money. Or it can be 
more of one of these intangible, you know, I want freedom to choose when I work and where I work or how much time I spend with my family, right? These are the things that entrepreneurship will get you that working a day job will not typically. But once you've identified what that is, now you can start to work backwards on it. And they say, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? Well, you pair that with the Bill Gates saying that people tend to overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in 10. So if you've defined a 10-year vision, you can then break that down. What's that look like in five years to be able to get there? What about three? What about one? All the way down into 90-day increments. There's a concept called EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, that breaks it down into what they call 90-day rocks. And if you can work at that now systematically, you're headed in the right direction. And it's okay to change your 10-year vision. But if you don't have one at all, then you're not really moving the needle forward. And I think a directionless company is the most likely to fail. So that's why I think that's important. And in fact, we had Andrea Shalapia on, Andrea Shalapia Lopez on our show a little while ago. She is a financial services EOS specialist, uh, and she actually helps implement that with her company called Ironstone HQ. Okay, brother. Listen, thank you for building what you've built. I am personally very grateful for it. I know that you're helping some of my friends who are just, they are first gen and they're just starting out. I think your price point's amazing. I think your offering's amazing. And I hope a lot of our listeners take advantage. So I want to welcome you and thank you very much for being on the show, my friend. Yeah, Matt, thank you so much for having me. It means a lot. Uh, it was great to chat with you and anything I can do to help, feel free to reach out to me. I will. All right, everybody, here's the thing, right? If you're looking at one a way to gain the confidence for you to give yourself permission to unapologetically be yourself hanging out with other people who are like you is so vital. That's number one. Number two, you are going to have the ability to create real, organic, powerful content by just participating in these weekly conversations that Andrew's talking about. And then number three, but most importantly, is stop feeling alone. Stop it. You don't have to feel that way anymore. There is luckily a place for you to go where you don't feel like you're on that island, where you can have real conversations with other people who are swimming in the same waters as you do. And that's this first-gen entrepreneur. So for Andrew and all of us here at Proudmouth, this is Matt Halloran. We'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thanks for listening to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. If you want to know more about how you can be your own loud, visit us at proudmouth.com and sign up for the Pod Rocket Academy. Through courses and office hours led by professional podcast producers and digital marketers, you will learn everything you need to know to become the trusted subject matter expert you were meant to be.